Today we celebrate this solemnity of the Ascension, where we relive this moment in Jesus' life, this culmination of his mission, in which, as the Acts of the Apostles tell us, Jesus was taken up into heaven before their very eyes. He disappeared from their sight. As we hear, as we will hear in today's liturgy, the reading from the Acts of the Apostles, as we pray about it now in our Lord's presence, let's be careful as well to not let our imagination trick us into thinking that Jesus has gone somewhere else. Now, the very narration of the event lends itself to us thinking that. It's, it's what it actually says. Jesus ascended. He went up before them and disappeared from their sight. But it's not because that Jesus went to some other physical place in the universe, that he's somehow no longer close, but is light years away from us. It's rather that he has entered into God's sphere. Not only is the resurrection of Jesus a victory over sin and death, it is also a victory over the limits of space-time. That Jesus' body is body, he eats in their sight, they touch him. It is flesh, it is the same person of Jesus, but transformed. And that transformation now allows him to be present in a way in which we just can't imagine. During his earthly life, Jesus said to his disciples, whenever two or three of you are gathered in my name, I am in your midst. We don't really appreciate that promise, do we? Take it seriously. Isn't it true that even right now, as we try to pray, that we can tend to hear it as, you know, kind of a spiritual metaphor, an image, but not really take it seriously? And our belief in Christ's Eucharistic presence doesn't mean that that's the only presence and that every other presence is, well, just in our imagination. We can't limit Jesus' victory and action in that way. What we believe as Catholics is something very definite and concrete about the Eucharist, but it's not a restrictive belief, as if Jesus were somehow confined to the Eucharist. It's more at least he's present in the Eucharist in this way, uniquely. But we also need that consolation that Jesus' ascension is precisely what permits that promise to be true. Wherever two or three of you are gathered in my name, I am in your midst. He remains present at our side in ways that we can't imagine. We need to seek them out. We need to seek that presence out. The church teaches solemnly that through the incarnation, Jesus has, in a certain sense, identified himself with every human being. He's entered into intimate contact with all of creation. He's left a mark. He's there. And one of the places that I'd like for us to consider this morning in our prayer that we can tap into and experience his victorious presence, 
or rather notice an effect of his presence, is our experience of desire. Desire. And how, not always, but sometimes, desire can lead us to experience authentic joy. With the word desire, I could use the word wanting, I could use the word hunger. That experience that is at the base of all of our activity, it's what, it's what is our motor, it's what projects us forward, that is desire. There's nothing behind it, there's nothing deeper than it. Desire. And that, that desire that each one of us, if we reflect just a little bit, experience, is elicited by Christ. I don't know how familiar you are with this street artist Bansky, this fellow who's mainly is operated in the UK sometimes, in New York, who does this street art, graffiti, you know, leaves these big murals on walls, and he's very creative, he's sometimes polemical. He's, uh, people are trying to have even carved what he's done off of walls and put it in museums. But the thing about Bansky, what adds to his mystique is that no one's ever seen him do what he does. As people walk out one morning and they're on a wall, boom, there's this, and there he is signed. But no one's actually caught him in the act. No one's seen it happen. And that mystique is precisely a result of kind of saying, well, I see the effects, I see what he's done. Well, who is he? What is he like? What is he doing? It makes them want to know more about him. And in a sense, our intimate experience of authentic joy and the desire that prompts that, that seeking of that joy, it needs to make us ask ourselves, where does that come from? Where is the source of this happiness, this joy, that we get in just glimpses and moments? You know, we normally don't look back and say, yeah, the last four months have just been uninterrupted joy. I don't think that's ever happened to any of us. It comes in glimpses. But those glimpses are enough to make us say, that's the real thing. That's what makes life worthwhile. Where does it come from? Because whenever we experience joy, whenever we have that experience of desire fulfilled, even if momentarily, we desire more. And saints and philosophers have always spoken about this desire being infinite. It's, it's unthinkable that someone would ever say, okay, I've got enough love. Don't need any more. Good. You know, don't need to be loved anymore. Joy, I'm, I'm taken care of. I can move on to something else now. It's precisely of the very nature that while satisfying, it elicits a desire for more. And what this is, is that each and every one of us, every human being, has at their core a pulsating hunger for God. And this is more true than our DNA. It is what makes us up. What we need to ask ourselves now in our prayer is am I living my Christian vocation as a response to that hunger?
because it's there. It's working all the time. You don't have to think about it. It's not something you say, oh, I forgot to have desire today. No, you can't ignore it. We can anesthetize it. We can try to satisfy it with other things. We can distract ourselves. We can be superficial. That's very, very possible. And it's unfortunately one of our greatest weaknesses. But what we want to do precisely to be able to experience the joy of the freedom of the children of God is to consciously and on purpose live out our faith as a response to that hunger. And it's a challenging question to ask ourselves. Am I living my Christian vocation as a response to this hunger? This good news. Good news because it's answering something. Now, one of the challenges that we can face, and maybe one of the first challenges in, in tapping into this desire that Christ elicits, that he has come to fulfill, and the closer we come to him, the more that fulfillment is experienced as joy. One of the first challenges, perhaps, is to distinguish between desire and compliance. Compliance. I think compliance is a good word. It's kind of the opposite of what we're talking about here. When we think of compliance, we think about health and safety. We think about forms. We think about rules uh, that have to do with external things that somehow don't really engage me as an entire person. You know? Uh, you know, if we were to say, hey, would you like to come out and have dinner with you this evening? And the person were to say, I will comply. Well, we probably wouldn't be impressed. We would feel a little bit hurt even, right? Somehow the love of friendship, this human connection, isn't a matter of compliance. That's what you do with the health and safety officer. Because none of us, you know, anyway, we see the idea. It's an adjustment to an external rule that might be very useful, but it remains external. Because we do need rules. We do need health and safety rules. We do need traffic laws. You know, the law is not bad. It's just not sufficient. But desire is what engages the whole person. It somehow touches or derives from my very essence. And the challenge, many times, is that it can be hard to know what we desire, as opposed to what I'm supposed to desire, what's being expected of me, what I should be doing, whether that expectation comes from the culture, whether it comes from other people, whether it comes from myself, this tendency that I have to a certain sort of perfectionism, where instead of relying on desire and the shaping of it and the hard work of doing that, I look to compliance. Because the thing about compliance is that it gives a certain kind of security. And there is a kind of consolation in that. To know that I've dotted my I's and crossed my T's, that I'm meeting expectations, that I'm doing everything that people are expecting of me can do, that offers a kind of security. And a security that saves us from one of the things that we find most unpleasant in life, which is fear, insecurity, and self-doubt. So we look 
to compliance very often because it's, it's more ascertainable, it's, it seems to be more concrete and definite. But we know, of course, that it doesn't satisfy because it's not sufficient for joy. It may be necessary, but it's not sufficient. So as we're trying to pray and as we're setting time aside today to focus on our Lord's presence, even though he has ascended into heaven, let's have the courage to ask ourselves, Lord, am I desiring you? Am I living my faith in response to that desire? Or am I taking refuge in compliance to expectations? And we need to ask that question realizing that the answer is not one or the other. It'll be a mixture. It'll be a mixture of the two. Yeats, our great, one of our great poets, in 1905 was writing to someone about his own efforts to write in an authentic way, in an honest way. In other words, his own struggle as a poet, as a, as a writer, as a creator, to write according to desire and therefore freely and not in accordance with the expectations of others. And very simply said, if I had written to convince others, I would have asked myself not, is that exactly what I think and feel? But rather, how would that strike so-and-so? How will they think and feel when they have read it? And all would be oratorical and insincere. It's a similar thing in our effort to relate to our Lord, to grow in a life of prayer, to see our professional work and our friendships as the primary place where we are to be loved by him and try to love him back. All of that requires an effort, a striving. There is a desire that moves us, but it doesn't happen automatically. We have to choose, we have to engage. And it's in that unclear, uncertain area that we have to negotiate this discernment between am I trying to sincerely love and to give myself even though I have weaknesses and frustrations and all the rest, or am I veering towards compliance and the pseudo-security that it offers? And asking ourselves this question and thinking about this, I, I don't want to encourage some sort of introspective navel-gazing that we have to be kind of suspicious about our own intentions all the time. Is it desire or is it compliance or am I being authentic or being insincere? But rather, just the wholehearted thing of, well, I'm probably going to veer sometimes into compliance, but Lord, I just want my, I want to tap into this desire that you have created to me, for me and within me I want to experience the freedom that is a consequence of living in that way. I want to love. Now, the challenge though, apart from this distinction between desire and compliance, is even that when we try to work more 
determinedly and more focused on desire is that desire, as we know, can be very ambiguous. We all, I mean, this is just very obvious, right? Desire takes us in all sorts of contradictory directions. I don't desire to get out of bed. I desire to eat an obscene amount of chocolate. I desire to be cranky. I desire to be happy. We have desires that are very noble and that take us to generosity and self-giving. And that we have other things that we feel are pulling us very much into ourselves to be selfish. Instead of loving to instrumentalize. Instead of giving to take. And therefore, we have to engage in a process, just noticing that difference alerts us to the fact that we have to mentor our desires. We have to educate it. Desire in and of itself is not an infallible indicator of what leads towards joy and freedom. It's it's a beginning. It's this raw material, if you like, that we are entrusted to, just as God has entrusted to us to ourselves, so that using our minds and guided by the light of faith and strengthened by the power of God's grace, we can, with him, direct our desire towards our true end. So this mentoring of our desire. But as soon as, you know, mentoring is, whenever we mentor someone or teach someone, it's a very positive attitude, isn't it? So we shouldn't have our primary attitude towards our desires being one of suspicion, stomp them out, get rid of them, just do what I'm supposed to do and that's it and desire, well, who cares about that? That's feelings, that's that kind of murky territory that gets me into trouble. All I need to do is just soldier on and do this. Well, that's not mentoring, That's, that's not teaching, that's treating desire as, you know, some sort of prisoner or or some sort of criminal that needs to be controlled. Rather, desire is not simply temptation. It's not essentially problematic. It's essential to our experience of God. It is essential to our enjoyment of God. You know, imagine you were enrolled in a course on wine tasting, but like a really in-depth course that lasted six months, three nights a week, you know, all these sorts of things, the history of wines, the different kinds of grapes, uh, the kinds of earth in which grapes are grown and regions and, and meteorology because of how the weather influences all of this sort of thing. And you were shown all of this and bottling and the aging process and the chemistry and all of this sort of thing, you're getting into it. But for that entire six months, you never once tasted wine. Wouldn't it be horrible? I mean, can you imagine? Right? You know, just knowing it inside and out. And, and there would be a way in which all of that science, all of that learning, would never be able to substitute the capacity to really enjoy, to feel it on your palate. Enjoy it as it goes down your throat, that wine. Now, all of that learning and all that knowledge could help you appreciate what you're experiencing, but it can't substitute that experience. And all this preaching that we do about God's love, that he's a father who loves you unconditionally, 
that he has seen you from all eternity and wants to be with you and he wants you to spend that eternity with him. Can we go on a very long time just hearing about that without at some level experiencing it? Having that desire meet and touch the thing that with our words, with which are nothing more than symbols, we're pointing to. That's what we're trying to get at when we talk about the importance of mentoring our desire. Now, Pope Benedict, a number of years ago, gave a fascinating general audience on this idea. He talked about a pedagogy of desire. I've just been using the word mentoring because I don't think we normally, well, except for those of you who are teachers, we don't normally talk about pedagogy. But it, it's, a very, it's a very dense talk that he gave. But in a certain moment, he says, it would be very useful to foster a kind of pedagogy of desire, both for the journey of one who does not yet believe and for the one who has already received the gift of faith. It should be a mentoring that covers at least two aspects. I'm only going to mention the first one that he talks about here. In the first place, to discover or rediscover the taste of the authentic joy of life. In other words, Pope Benedict is saying, in order for us to educate, to mentor our desire, the first thing that we have to do is to rediscover the taste for the authentic joy of life itself. And he's saying that we need to educate our desire in this way so that we can have constantly in more, uh, in more moments in our life an experience of God's presence, of his action, to enjoy it. The Holy Father went on, not all satisfactions have the same effect on us. Some leave a positive aftertaste, able to calm the soul and make us more active and generous. Others, however, after the initial delight, seem to disappoint the expectations that they had awakened and sometimes leave behind them a sense of bitterness, dissatisfaction, or emptiness. Instilling in someone from a young age the taste for true joy in every area of life, family, friendship, solidarity with those who suffer, self-renunciation for the sake of the other, love of knowledge, art, the beauty of nature, all this means exercising the inner taste and producing antibodies that can fight the trivialization and the flattening of life so widespread today. Adults, too, need to rediscover this joy, to desire authenticity, to purify themselves of the mediocrity that might infest them. It will then become easier to drop or reject everything that, although attractive, proves to be, in fact, insipid, a source of indifference and not of freedom. And this will bring out that desire of God of which we are speaking. The more prominent that desire for God is in our life, the more we are able to love in an authentic way and therefore are free. 
and to bring out that authentic desire for God. Pope Benedict is saying we don't need to go on a mountain somewhere. We don't have to go to Gelag Michael and close ourselves in a cave and immerse ourselves in a spiritual reality, but we need to acquire and educate ourselves in learning how to taste the authentic joys of life in all spheres. From the most prosaic and momentary, like sunshine, you know, to you know, having slept well, to a very interesting conversation, or not even very, just an interesting conversation with a friend, having been able to support them, to have finally decided to stop procrastinating, avoiding the things that I find challenging and uncomfortable, and to face them and have worked through them, to give of my time, to work even when I'm tired, but to try as best I can to do it for love. All of these sorts of things. I can make a long, long, long list. To be able to contemplate art, to enjoy a book, to stretch myself, to understand and to reflect. And all of this as I resist those insipid, faux pleasures. The kinds of things that too often we fall into in our digital devices. You know, trinkets. And this isn't being cranky against technology and the internet. It's just recognizing that every single one of us has experienced the way that we can go down the rabbit hole, whether it's in social media or in news or in YouTube or wherever it is, and we come out of it and we never come out of it, I think, energized, at peace, and with a sense of deep satisfaction. Normally, we come out of it and saying, what just happened in the last two hours of my life? that I'm not going to get back. And just that, that underlying, just kind of background anxiety, being on edge. And that's what happens when we allow our desires to go in a direction that is not authentic, that is not true. Now, we don't have much time left, but one of the challenges in educating our desire so that we can allow ourselves to experience the joy of life, which makes it possible for us to really appreciate God's presence and his love for us. One of the challenges in that education is that we can very often experience it as humiliating. Because desire is, you can't get more intimate than desire. Like there's nothing deeper than it. You can't go lower. And to discover either for ourselves or someone else points it out to us that what I'm desiring may not be the best. I need to correct that. I need to challenge it. We can experience that as evaluation. I'm stupid. I'm wrong. I'm, I'm bad. It can be humiliating. But let's ask our Lord now in our prayer, to help us be humble. Humble in the sense that we stand before him exactly as we are, transparent before his gaze. And saying, Lord, here's my messy heart. Kind of lurches and starts and pulls in all sorts of different directions. Help me to not be ashamed. Help me to not try to suppress it or to snuff it out. But give me the humility to learn, to correct, to challenge myself, 
to be guided, indeed to be demanded of, but a demand that comes from the very nature of love itself. True love is always calling us to be more. It's not a paternalistic saying, no, you're grand because you really can't be better anyway, so just be there. God's fatherly love is not paternalistic. It's always calling us to more. We have to let ourselves be instructed, to be guided, to learn. So today, as we contemplate this mystery of Jesus' resurrection and ascension, his victory, a victory that makes him present each and every one of us, present in our most intimate selves, let's be confident that he's at our side, encouraging each one of us, both in the very small, daily, prosaic struggles, but also in the deeper ones as well. How am I growing? Where am I going? What exactly is God asking of me? How can I respond more wholeheartedly to it? All of that is where we want to be in our prayer and confident as well that Mary, our mother, is at our side, interceding for us and accompanying us every step of the way. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.